They just keep coming. The unmistakable whistle of a cannonball's flight was followed quickly by a tremendous splash. It had narrowly missed the starboard side of the legendary pirate ship known as the Brass Bird. With grim determination, Captain Renlock spun the tiller hard to port in what he knew was likely a futile effort. From high atop the rigging, the voice of a catfolk called down with the report that the Andoran pirate hunter was still gaining on them. A massive air elemental appeared off the starboard bow, a creature larger than the mainsail, and began buffeting the ship closer and closer to some nameless island. As the ship drew ever nearer to the beach, they knew that their pirating days, perhaps even their lives, were over. The smell of sweat, gunpowder, and fear hung in the air as a squad of Andoran soldiers awaited them with drawn arms and smug grins. Captain Renlock straightened his shoulders, turned to the crew, and shouted to them what would be his final command. Throw down your weapons! And one by one, cutlasses, pistols, and daggers struck the deck with clangs and thuds. And then, silence. Hello, and welcome to Jimmy Fame Presents, Bonus Against the Machine, More Pod for Your Bod, sponsored by Charlie the Lizard Folks Chicken Emporium, More Cluck for Your Buck. I will be your host today, gentle listeners. I'm going to edit this whole thing out, and it's going to be way better. I, I'm your host, Jeff, and here's everybody. We're all waving, as is the tradition. Felt fun to join into the malicious wave. A malicious wave. Not malicious. It's friendly. I did feel the hostility, <laughs> but it was it was normal, so I didn't. Yeah, yeah. The rest of us were all still actually directing it, at Sam. Well, yeah, don't lump me in. I was waving maliciously. I don't know about everyone else. It was the snarl, really, for me. <laughs> A snarling wave. You don't just get that every day, but. Speaking of things you don't get every day, this, friends and scrappers, this scrappers and friends, scrappers, this is all your fault. Because if you hadn't been so stinking generous, we wouldn't be recording this bonus game. So thank you. We love you. And the votes came in with a resounding victory that Pathfinder 2nd Edition should be our first bonus game. So I will be running this ragtag crew through the one-shot Sundered Waves by Paizo's own Jason Bullman. Is everyone super prepared and incredibly well-versed in the rule set? Definitely. No, but I do have uh, Jason Bullman's at in Discord already typed in to start messaging him to ask him what to do. So <laughs> I'm going to Sunder these waves so hard. Wild. Hey, can we swear in this one? No. Just, okay. <laughs> confirming. Let's get it out of the way early. No, no. That's good. Yeah. Hey, what are you going to roll to sunder? 
is this a riddle? No, I was just testing your confidence there. I'm going to sunder these I... waves so hard, um, oh, you know, uh, with a dice. I don't know, like a D, D8 maybe? That is one of the, one of the sharpest dice. <laughs> Got me. I think the best way to introduce these characters is to just jump right in where we find them. It was five years ago that the Andorian Navy caught up with Captain Renlock, and that was the last time the four of you sailed together aboard the Brass Bird, and the last time any of you saw Captain Renlock. Fortunately, you were set free after only a few months, but Renlock wasn't so lucky. He spent his last years in jail until an illness claimed his life. And you learned of Renlock's death from his trusted companion, a clockwork parrot named Kahlo, that remained ever at his side. And just a few weeks ago, the bird sought you out to deliver two things. One, the bad news of Renlock's passing. And two, a mysterious piece of a map, which you can all find in your handouts. On the map, on one side has some cryptic clue and on the other side was a suggestion that you all travel to this beach on this very morning to find his most prized treasure so here you are along with your three other former shipmates staring at the partially sunken remains of the ship you once called home the smell of the surf and rotting wood hang heavy in the air the silence broken only by the screech of faraway gulls on this lonely island north of the Shackles. And who do we see here on this lonely island? Why don't we start with... I'll go. With Izzy. Unless you have an idea. I don't want to lose my character phrase, which <clears throat> I got carefully from the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, you'd best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one, and then you drink the thing, and it falls on your ribcage. Um, I'll be playing Tolu Hammerpaw, a pirate slash cat with an accent that's kind of piratey, but also maybe vaguely northern English. It's fine. We're going to ignore it for the now. Uh, I am a ranger, um, which I remember because I worked very hard in this character sheet. Um, just a fun guy. Been hanging out by himself for the last couple of years, largely in bars and taverns. Spending all what's worth of ill-gotten gold from all those years aboard sea. Hates the water, but what are you going to do? Um, it's a cat person. Oh, I didn't say that. Cat folk. Normal cat folk hike black fur. Uh, often to be found skulking in shadows, staring at things. Just generally getting a layout of the land. And in this case, of the land and submerged boat and sea. Um, and then go look around at his companions and be... All right, uh... Well, it seems we're back aboard, or as it were, somewhat back aboard. Um, did anyone else get a strange uh, piece of trash? Hawking cat, take a drink. <laughs> so you see this large uh, uh, lizard folk character in shining half plate uh, raise a tankard um, at uh, the his companion's um, an initial question. And, and take a deep guzzle. Wasn't very deep on my part, but... <clears throat> um, 
Hieronymus Hiram Kegdrainer uh, is a champion of Caden Kyleen and in the truest form of deific devotion, he has taken the Lucky Drunk's way of approaching the world and conflicts and problems um, in a proactive can-do attitude of seeing life as a drinking game. So, upon seeing his first talking cat, that is but a slog from his ever-full tankard. Hieronymus Kegdrainer. I don't know why he said his name after <laughs> taking the drink, but just so you know, that's what his voice sounds like. And yes, I did receive this small map here. Holds it out from his face. He doesn't have his reading glasses. I, I, I know who you are, mate. Uh, but yes, I'll take a drink to that. Uh, oh, it's a map then. All right, great. Good to know. I think my accent has changed in the last 30 seconds. I can't remember. Changing accent? That's a drink! <laughs> Tony, like, opens a flask. Cheers. I'm standing a little ways off from the two of you, just sort of watching and um, holding a flintlock pistol in his hands, is a human man uh, with gray and black hair. Now, the last time any of you saw him, he was only a year old, or, well... He looked like he was about 18, but um, Duskwalkers work a little bit differently from others. Now he looks like a, a human man of about 50 uh, with puffy hair, uh, puffy beard to match, and um, a wide chiseled jaw. And he's, he's a little bit on the heavy side with a big smile on his face. And um, the only color on this uh, Duskwalker's face is... Not, uh, these people are basically grayscale. His skin is gray, his eyes are darker gray, his hair is black and silver. Uh, but the only color on his actual person is just the slightest bit of rouge on his cheeks. And um, he um, holds up his pistol, spins it around a uh, finger, and, uh, and grins um, and says, I'll drink to that. And you are, of course, looking at Banram Divis. And uh, the last figure you see is kind of crouched down. It looks at first like maybe they're squatting down, but they can't be squatting down because they still look like they're about five feet tall. So there's no way they're squatting, even though it looks like they're squatting. Uh, and they seem to be playing tug of war with what looks like a small white dragon and just kind of ignoring the rest of the party and there is a uh, tall staff with metal rings on the top of it just kind of jammed into the ground next to them they haven't done uh, much at all to acknowledge the rest of the party yet but at everybody uh, introducing themselves this figure kind of straightens up and stands up to its full height of just under nine feet tall and turns to look at everyone else and you see a bright almost blindingly white extremely thin what looks like maybe a hawk-headed humanoid with these bright yellow eyes 
and it just kind of looks around at everyone and it ruffles its feathers, gets a little bit like fluffier for a second, and then kind of hunches down to a more manageable about maybe six and a half feet and says, You remember me. I remember all of you. I'm, as you know, Mejuli. And yes, I also, and reaches a taloned hand into her robes and pulls out a torn bit of paper, received one of these strange notes from the captain. And uh, as you all remember, she was basically the ship's doctor, for lack of a better term, though she wasn't truly a cleric. She at least knew a little bit about healing and had some healing magic. And she never was really much of, uh, like, conversing with the rest of the crew. So you might even be surprised to see her out of everybody on the ship as one of the people who was apparently given one of these messages to show up. I think Tolu is, like, stalking in a circle around, oh, can I pull the name? Uh, Banram, just like, like cats do, you know? Um, it's like... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, lad, but you're a bit older than you were when last we saw you. And by bit older, I mean quite a bit old, like you're just old. It's true! This isn't the big baby Banram that I used to bounce on my me. Are we drinking to that, then? <laughs> no, that's only if I bounce him. That's, that's later. <laughs> Down the line. <laughs> I it. It's true. When I left you, I was but a boy. And then he um, dabs. But now, I'm all man, baby. Oh, yeah. That was a double finger snap that he did in character. So cool. Is it an interact action to snap with both hands, or is it just a... Yeah. And Whoa. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's It was two actions, one for each hand. He doesn't have the feet yet. Quick snap. I do think you get panache for that. That was, that was slick. Even if you're not playing a swashbuckler, you just get panache. It's crazy. You can only use it to uh, give you an extra action each turn to do a finger gun with. <laughs> Quickened snaps. Your fourth action can only be used to snap. But if you have the quick snap, it gets confusing. You can snap doubly, one on each hand at the same time. Yeah, you can actually just keep snapping infinitely. Nice. Anytime Bandrum needs to refocus, he's just snapping, <laughs> snapping, and dabbing for 10 minutes. Yeah, we'll snap and dab. Yeah. Oh, we got a title for the app. <laughs> That's a title. Um, so I think Bandrum will also pull out one of these uh, little scraps of paper and go, uh, if I may be so bold. I think we might have a bit of a puzzle on our hands. Perhaps we should see if the pieces fit. Capital idea. He will pull out his... Uh, yeah. Dad doesn't have his glasses on, but... And he'll hand it over to... Yeah, let's just give it to Banrim. Are we able to put the four pieces of paper together? You know, as luck would have it, you can. 
Teamwork. Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty seasoned GM. I have lots of old bay, little Tony Sacheries. What about Lowry's? You got any Lowry's? Uh, you know, it just depends. Can you make heads or tails of it, man? You still can't read, can you? That's neither here nor there, but microaggression, take a drink. And then, uh, yeah, she'll also nudge it towards Banram. <laughs> yeah, he'll um, put all the pieces of the map together and say, uh, well, it looks like they've got our ship here and um, some other stuff. And um, Captain has kindly written us some riddles. The Captain, you say? You've got some sort of insight the rest of us don't have, then? Well, he's the one who sent the stuff, ain't he? Supposedly, I got it from a robot bird. Yes, that same thing happened with me. The captain's bird brought it. Well, I was just making a logical inference. We all know he's dead, right, Jeff? Or do we? Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the... Kahlo, the brass mechanical bird, informed you of the captain's passing and delivered that map fragment. Truly a shame. Suppose we ought to pour one out um, and look specifically at Hiram um, and then goes to pour, pour one out and then takes a swig instead. Well, you know, waste not, want not. So, exactly. Because the moment that you tipped that receptacle towards the ground, Hiram moved with a speed that is reserved only for new parents preserving their children from danger or perhaps secret service uh, throwing themselves in front of a bullet. His mouth open, his hands extended. Yeah. We don't waste alcohol in this party. No, no. (laughs) That is some alcoholic alacrity. But instead he just lands in the dirt and just bunch of sand in the mouth instead he's you all right fine great uh a little to the captain and the riddles map trash well let's see uh begin your journey by going against uh, that that's not what the words say i was testing begin your journey going with the tide then against, with, and finally, against. All right, that seems pretty straightforward, except for the whole part where we're on land now, so going with the tide might be difficult. Jeff, do we see any, like, way to get into the, what I assume to be, rocky, cavey beach? No, from what your perspective here... You you don't see any sort of opening at all. It just seems, you know, high cliffs on this beach. But you do see, it's interesting, you can see, you know, much of the brass bird having been sunk is in pretty substantial disrepair. But you can see the wheel where Renlock steered from here and with the rising sun there's a single beam illuminating the wheel that 
might be just coincidental. Who could say? So go against the tide and then with and then against. So I wonder if maybe, you know, hold on, we're playing characters. This isn't me figuring this out. This is a creepy bird lady figuring this out. Uh, so Julie will say the part you read, the part we obviously both read about the beginning you have to go against the tide, then with the tide, then against the tide. I wonder if maybe we need to swim. Maybe there's some kind of underwater cave or something that leads us further into the bay. Well, it certainly seems we're talking about some kind of direction. Uh, sort of an in-out situation. No, maybe... Uh, Left, right, up, up, down. Which way does the tide go? A, B, start. <laughs> um. Yeah, um, which way is the tide going right now? I'd like to sense tide, please. Ooh, roll for tide. Oh, no. No, uh, it is. <laughs> oh, no. Alabama friends in the house. <laughs> Gross. Uh, uh Sorry. You know what? I'm not going to take that out. As an LSU alum, <laughs> go Tigers. The tide is, I'm sure. Don't worry about it. <laughs> was there something about a, a wheel you said? I think I missed it. The light was shining on the brass bird's wheel on the wreck. Yes. Perhaps we need to climb onto the wreck and turn the wheel like left, right, left, right. Yeah. But who will say it in character? Or it'd probably be because the ship is like facing out towards water. It'd be like up. Well, actually, no, I guess that'd still be left, right, left, right. It would just be trying to figure out which. I don't mean to brag when I say I think I'm the, the <laughs> finest climbing person here, possibly. There's actually no climb check here, but I do have a fair bit of dexterity and, you know, whatnot. Uh, so, in character, I would love to take a look at that wheel up there, especially since the sun's shining on it like in a video game. <laughs> That's how you know there's a side quest. For what it's worth, climb is an athletics skill, which is keyed off strength. Cool. I, uh, well, we'll see what happens. I would love to try and hop on up there and just, just see if the wheel, I guess, is turnable and if anything happens. So I roll, you said, uh, athletics? Yes, it'll be athletics to, you have to kind of swim across. But then once you get over to the ship, it's easy enough to climb up onto the half deck. Well, uh, listeners... Congratulations to me. First roll of the game. First roll of a 2E game. That is a natural one. Uh, Tolu approaches the water and like prepares this beautiful swan dive and just kind of a running jump. And with the grace of a cat, uh, leaps and lands in the water with nary a splash before remembering that he hates water and screaming and just like running back out like a cat falling in a bathtub, which I'm not familiar with. What are you talking about? Obviously. Uh. 
Would you allow, with a running start with where the boat is, which appears to be about only 15 feet offshore, would you allow an acrobatics check instead with a running start? (laughs) Of course. I feel like I am contractually obligated as one who jumps in our main podcast to allow a running start. Well, how many grip points do you have? Ooh, good question. Yeah, none, unfortunately. At this juncture, I feel it important to state I have a swim speed in an athletics of 13. Just saying. <laughs> As uh, Hiram is saying that, Majuli uh, sets her dragon down, backs up to the cliff edge, and just starts running on these long bird legs towards it. And as she hits the edge of the shore, she jumps into the air and gets a 25 uh, acrobatics to attempt to land onto the boat. Sorry, in the last 90 seconds, uh, I've learned that jumping in 2E is also athletics. Uh, but it's not acrobatics. So, so if you, the, 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 the actions of long yeah. jump and high jump are both based on your strength. Uh, yeah, acrobatics is essentially like mobility, tumble yeah, kind of stuff. Uh, what would your role have been? That would only be a 14 in that case. Ah, You stride first. DC is equal to the amount of feet that you have to travel. That's long jump according to Path Builder. Boom. You did it. Well, I would be one under it. Though I do have the uh, ability to use athletics in, I mean, to use acrobatics instead of athletics to make a grab check for that last foot, getting a 14 instead of a 15. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying for the sake <laughs> yeah. of you are running, leaping off yeah. the beach and being one number under, yeah. you, you did it. Yeah. So she just barely like her bird feet grab onto the railing of the boat. And it looks like she's going to fall over backwards for a second. And then she steps down onto the boat. And I mentioned she's doing this as Hiram is explaining he can easily swim over. Nice. In fact, as Majuli lands ever so gracefully on the boat, you are joined swooping down by a different avian creature, the familiar Kahlo itself, who kind of clatters and rattles and opens its beak. And oddly, the voice of Captain Renlock comes from it, this old mechanical bird. And you hear in the captain's own voice, My friends, it pleases this old pirate's heart to see you gathered again on the deck of the Brass Bird. Although my time is past, I have found one last treasure for you to plunder. But to ensure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands, I have placed a few challenges in your way. Don't worry, I am sure they are nothing you can't handle. To open the way, you must... Sail from the home of the pirates to plunder the coasts of Varesia. Return home, but then make your way to Absalom to spend your loot. Finally, follow my dream and sail to the river kingdoms and retire in peace. And after that cryptic clue, Kahlo grows silent and just stares at the wheel. And I will show you the wheel. So what you see is this wheel and the cardinal directions are etched into it and you can see this symbol of a wave the directions were sail from the home of the river pirates to plunder varesia 
and then return home, then make your way to Absalom to spend your loot, and then follow his dream and sail to the River Kingdoms to retire in peace. I was just going to say, like, I'm doing my best to picture Galarian in my head mm-hmm. in all of these these places in relation to one another, but I am struggling with the fact, like, is the ordinal direction then, like, me facing the map and say, like, is it right to Absalom and, and left over to, yeah. So, um... Well, I imagine we would use the directions that are etched into the wheel. <laughs> Regardless of what direction the ship is facing, that's probably the directions we want to use. That makes sense. So, to be less meta and more in our characters, his voice changes all the time. Um, what will we roll to know where all of these places are in relation to one another in Galarian in second edition? You would need to roll a society check to kind of know, to recall knowledge, essentially, to reveal the direction between any two points. I don't have that. You could roll it untrained if you wanted to. I have uh, bardic lore, so theoretically I could roll that for basically any sort of knowledge check. Yeah, any recall knowledge, you're good to go. Can I also gather up the group and cast my cantrip Join Pasts, which will, by touching um, up to four targets' foreheads, um, bring people into mental communion, which will allow them to share thoughts and experiences, but not words. When one target attempts to recall knowledge, another target can aid that first target skill check using any lore skill, even if that lore wouldn't normally apply. So, like, say we have a uh, knowledge meteorology, we could use that to aid. Or lore alcohol and cognitive oneness. Take a drink. <laughs> Plus eight to my meteorology lore. I can't tell you where Absalom is. I can tell you what the weather right there is now. What have you done to us, lad? Why do I know so much more about drinking games and cards? As the captain always said, it's best to put your heads together. I do remember the captain saying that. You're right. You said we can use any knowledge. Any lore. Any lore. Right. Sorry. Okay. Well. Hey, I guess I'll just say it out loud, my words. Say 25, right? Yeah, 25 uh, lore beach. I don't know what kind of terrains there are in Pathfinder. I'm going to look that up. Terrain Pathfinder 2. Well, I got a... So, I mean, I think that's effectively a um, successful aid. It's also better than my role, but... I got a um, 14 on the die for a 22 Bardic Knowledge plus aid. And uh, Majuli also, if we can use any of our lore, also aids with a 27 Meteorology. Considering your piratical histories together and knowledge of locations, I would even lower the DC enough to where uh, Majuli would have given two critical success. One from a regular success from from Tolu, all of those numbers together greatly surpass the DC-10 required. It's so incredibly we just know where the treasure is. <laughs> so I think right it's there. so critical that you succeed 
impressively like double crit that we we don't need to take the time to roll that between every point that seems unnecessarily tedious Uh, what i'm hearing is we're super good at second edition we're (laughs) nailing pathfinder 2e no no yeah you're super super good so you would know that to go from uh, the shackles to Varija is north, and then going from Varija back to the shackles, going home is south. Going then to Absalom would be east, and then to the river kingdoms is back north. I don't know if Hiram is on the boat with me yet or not, but if he's not, then uh, Majuli will step over to the wheel, and she'll say... All right, I'll give it a try. I don't think this is what my voice sounded like a minute ago, but this is it now. And (laughs) we'll turn the wheel in the noted cardinal directions, which I already immediately forgot, other than the last one was north. Uh, Well, which way are you turning the wheel? Oh, ooh, that's a good idea. Uh, Because we're... Is this map oriented to the cardinal directions? Yeah, essentially. Up is north. Okay, so north would be directly behind us then. Uh, and what were the four? I Literally, the second you said them, I forgot everything except the last one was north. North, south, east, north. North, south, east, north. Okay, so I guess... Now the question is, though, would I turn left to turn it to the north? Like, left until north is on top on the wheel, or right until north is on top on the wheel? Which would make more sense? Uh, I guess she'll say, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Should I turn the wheel right until north is at the top, or left until north is at the top? Does, does anyone remember what the captain did to turn the boat around? Well, what the captain did aside, we do have a little bit of an inkling from this map here. Uh, in Perhaps in reference to which way to turn the wheel, although I can't imagine how to take the tide direction and make it like a lock combination you know you know how you like have to turn locks like left right left I just don't know how to turn that into a go with the tide and against the tide and that's both Izzy and Tolu coming together to express a, a kitty uh, modern sort of situation um, yes yeah, as with against with against looking at the wheel Majuli could see that the direction of the wave in the center seems to imply clockwise perhaps as Tolu is saying that and you're putting it together you're intelligent enough to say wait a minute maybe this represents the tide oh that makes sense that the tide is going to the tide is going to the right right yeah 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 east north I think I got it. It's it's not the real tide. It's the tide etched onto the boat. So she's going to turn it to the right, to the first north, then to the left, to the east was the second one? North, south, uh, east, north. Oh, no, north, south, yeah. east, and north. Okay. Yeah, so she'll then she'll turn it left until the south uh, little bigot or whatever the stickouts are called is at the top and then back right again until east is at the top but what did we do for the last one didn't only list three 
says uh, with against. No, I'm sorry. With against with and then against again. Okay, so it does say it four times. Okay, yeah, and then back the other way until it's at north again. Mizuli, in all of her nine feet of stature, is towering over this tiller and turning it this way, that way, this way, that way. And as the wheel goes counterclockwise, it's a, it's 270 degrees, almost a full circle back the other way. And it points up to north. You hear this loud, kind of heavy grinding sound from what appeared to be just a solid cliff. And there is, in fact, a passageway revealed that is about to be revealed for you on the map. Oh, it's over there. I was expecting it to be right there. Oh. <laughs> right is a good fake out. That appears to have done the trick. You did it. Yes. In a world gone mad, one bird turns a wheel and finds a treasure. Where's the treasure? Remains to be said, lad, but... um. Suppose we can go look in that cavernous area over there, since it's new and old. To get back off the boat, she just climbs to the top of this mass that's kind of canted over here and jumps off because she doesn't take fall damage, rather than attempting to uh, (laughs) athletics herself back over with her plus zero. I shall proceed in the fall. And with that, Hiram steps inside, lifting his rapier and sword. No, rapier and shield. <laughs> His two weapon champion builds. <laughs> His rapier and shield. <laughs> it's, the best defense is offense, Sam. Come on, let's go. Two weapon fighting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A double slice. It's weird that his shield looks like a sword so much. I mean, that's just science and tactics. Yeah. Bam. Uh, Banroma pulls down a mask over his face and draws his gun, his flintlock. Are you going to rob somebody? All right, I just... I am the knight. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's day, but I just <laughs> I feel more effective with a mask on. <laughs> I am the knight, because Batman is famous for his uh, use of guns. I think as we step into the cavern... Tulu will kind of stop and whistle. Um, and we all see a huge seagull looking. It's really basically an albatross, uh, just, you know, small enough to fit on a shoulder, um, kind of sweep through the cave there. And that's all I'm going to say for now. Just like, oi, Sphinx, Sphinx, that's how you say cat in some. I'm going to stop because that's going to be offensive. That's just funny that it's named after him. I've <clears throat> got a bird. Yeah, you do. And as Hiram leads this way through the passageway beyond this hidden door, it ascends at an incline a few feet above the high tide line of the cove before it starts to level off. And it does end in what you see as a short set of stairs that then descend into this large chamber. Uh, There's only a little bit of light coming through and the vine-choked cracks in the ceiling above. And you can see this rough-hewn chamber has fallen into disrepair. The western wall has collapsed partially and dirt and rock and plant debris 
litter the floor, nearly obscuring this large leaf pattern made from green quartz. And the tip of the leaf ends in a brackish pool of water rising up from which is a mold-encrusted stone statue of a woman who appears to emerge from a wave, seaweed for hair and her arms held high in supplication to the sky above. From the collapsed wall, you can hear sort of a faint clicking and rustling, but what the source is is not immediately apparent. You said that the leaf-shaped thing is made of quartz or the color of... No, it's made. Quartz doesn't have a color unless you say it's a color. It's made of quartz. My question being, is this leaf thing full of water now? So this is... this is. No, it is full of water. It's uh, sort of like a rim of quartz. Got it, got it. Okay, and then this is also water. Got it. It's all wet. Well, this bit of map says, uh, make an offering to Gozra, but be prepared to feel the storm's wrath. I don't, I don't really like that second part. Could I roll a perhaps religion on Gazra? Uh, and learn anything? Absolutely. Ah, just a 17. Which is still enough to, to know the basics about Gozra, Gazra, Gozray sometimes. It is, you know, rarely are we gifted a pronunciation in this sweet game that we all love. But you would know, I mean, as common of a deity as Gozra is, that... He says, vamping. Gozra is mostly concerned with nature, the sea, and weather. You would know that sailors often got, drop offerings to Gozra, known as the wind and the waves, and that... also like to do that. Yeah, it's, I think that's probably about all, all you really know is that Gozra is really into protecting and respecting nature and not into undead and despoiling natural beauty. So we immediately kill Hiram and then resurrect him and then break that leaf figure on the ground and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Toss him in there. Yeah, you hate to see it. So Sam... As a GM, you should know all the answers to all these puzzles. Oh, God. I believe I already stated I am bad at puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's an it's an interesting thing playing the, like, this is my meta-knowledge of Galarian and its pantheon, and then this is my frat boy of a champion who has, like, an eight intelligence or something. Yeah. Hiram's here to hit stuff. I just assumed that in combat, he'd probably be the only one to hold his own martially. But I guess uh, Izzy's ranger is probably gonna... I don't know. I'm sure you're all gonna do just fine. None of us are gonna die. (laughs) I am pretty good at making all of you do better. (laughs) But not actually ever harming anything. Fair. Yeah, that is a... I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I Bards and 2E looked pretty fun. I, I'm interested to hear how your run with them goes. Um, 
I like them in 1E a lot and have like three backups that are all bards, but like, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to build them, which is pretty cool. And I rebuilt them like three times, just sort of trying to pick out what I wanted to do. So Sam and I solved the puzzle while you guys were gone, but we figured it would be best if you two also worked through it and then shared your opinions with us so we could see we had the same answers. Yeah, I mean, I just think you should, you know, come to your own conclusions and then share them with our conclusions. Oh, it's so funny because I was going to say the same thing. No, yeah, no, that's, again, I'm saying the same thing. So you all go first. Mm-hmm. And then I will go, and also Jero. I agree, Jero should go first. <laughs> so, who's to say we don't just put down something of moderate value then? Uh, I, for example, have a deck of playing cards, I think. It's in my equipment pack, which is one of two things that I bothered to pick out. But it's very nice cards. The inking is t- truly stupendous. I'll hold out a deck of cards. Not an offering, just sort of offering to the group for now. If you're willing to uh, drop them in the water, I think that's maybe what the riddle's looking for. Perhaps we don't have all the information. <laughs> this is like my fourth new voice. For <laughs> but I think we should survey the room. Oh, yes, surveillance is... Uh, Perhaps one of my talents and or skills. I have so many of them in this game. Well, six. It's more than last time. It's actually not a skill, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) As the champion walks in to survey this, this room, having not been stealthed or spotted beforehand, these four giant ants emerge from the wall and we need to roll for initiative oh, no. uh, everyone will use perception since nobody was doing any other sort of exploration mode activity so perception for initiative everybody 2e let's go listeners at home jeff with ants is deadly oh man oh no Okay, so maybe in a different 1E game, hypothetically, some giant ants killed a beloved character in Shattered Star. But this does a totally different edition. Well, I'm super excited to go last with my 13 initiative. Okay, so 13 for Banrum. What about Drill? What did Majulia get? Julie got a natural 18 for a 26. Ooh. Nothing truly about that. What about Izzy? What did Tolu get? That's a natural 8 for a 19. Nice. Nice. And uh, the, the man of the hour who attracted these ants... What did ol' Hiram Kegdrainer get? Ol' Ant-Man got a 28 with an 18 off the die. Wow. That is a speedy champion. Or I guess a very wise champion. It's weird and tooey. Uh, 
I'm so fast with my wisdom. <laughs> Banram was right that he would be would be kind of you could say starting round two, top of round two. Uh, but in reality, right now, what's important is we're starting round one with Hiram. You have the privilege and the honor, Zach, of the first turn order in the first combat of 2E on this podcast, so no pressure. Take it away. Oh, no, we got this. Um. Um. What ho? He says. Uh, I didn't really think up many uh, battle, battle cries. Um. Stride action, that's the word I was trying to remember for the past 10 seconds while I was vamping there. He's going to take a stride action uh, 15 feet to the west, approaching the southernmost ant. From there, he is going to take a strike action with his second action of three. So many actions. And that benefit bonus to that action is that's 13 okay so he is going to foist his rapier and swing that is a 29 okay so in second edition if you meet or exceed your targets ac by 10 or more it's a critical hit and this sir is a critical hit so you'll roll your attack and damage and then we'll double it and that'll be the crit but we're not done because my rapier has a deadly D8. That's mm. my ally. Um, I also have access to the critical specialization feat for swords. So I'm just trying to look that up right now. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot of stuff. So I guess I should probably do all that damage before I even worry about what it is. So my rapier has a uh, striking rune on it. Um, and because I am a champion and I chose a rapier because I follow Caden Kyleen, it's one damage die higher. So I am rolling 2d8 plus 4 plus an additional 1d8 for the deadly d8. So there's this. And then that's a 13 and then a 5. So a 13 and 5 would be 18, doubling that to 36. Uh, you do strike down this ant at one incredible blow. I guess it's a it's a piercing weapon, so you know you skewer this thing with your rapier, and you are uh, diagonally adjacent to another ant. You could feel free to take a second strike should you wish to do so. I will, and because uh, this is second edition and I am taking yet another strike, uh, that applies a multi-attack penalty, which is a culminative negative five each time, meaning that it is just an eight. I can do math. Um, That is a 17 to hit. Ah, alas, this one does not quite strike true. All right. But an impressive first turn, nonetheless. Uh... First kill of the session. Take a drink. That's the end of my session. Er. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. End of the session. End of the session. That's it. That's it. Bummer. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Zach. That does bring us to Majuli. So she is going to. Let's see. 
she is not too far from. What do we think happens if I stand on the uh, quartz leaf, I wonder? Only one way to find out. Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if I can get closer to these ants without standing on it. She is going to stride once to the north. She uses her second action to command uh, Shirosen, her dragon, to move forward and attack. He will move forward with his first action, and he will sting at one of the ants with his other action. And that is an 11 on the die for a 17. Okay. So yeah, he... Yeah, he hits it with the little stinger, and it's just not strong enough to get through the carapace of the ant. Unfortunately, not quite. Uh, I, who knows the last time Shiroshin tried to sting something. Let's see, actually, in live, what a... Yeah, live. Let's see, for those of you on our Twitch stream, that's a lie. Uh, what, is, what does Tolu the ranger do? Okay, let's see. Uh, shooting into a whole lot of folks here, and I have no idea how that's going to impact things. Um, or if it makes sense to do, but I'm going to try it. So I've got my three actions. I'll be using one of them to command my bird. First action, I'm going to use a ranger thing and call my hunted shot or hunted prey. No, I want hunted prey. That's yeah, you need to hunt prey before you can do yes, a hunted shot. Right. So I'm going to hunt prey and say that this this ant up uh, north rightmost um, here, because I think that's, well, that's going to be the easiest to hit, um, hopefully. Um, so hunting, hunt prey, calling this guy right out north of where um, Julie's dragon is. Action one. Action two, I'm going to... I guess try and shoot it. Before I do that, I'm going to command my bird, uh, Sphinx, to fly on over there and use that support, um, which I believe only works if I if I land a strike. But let's see what happens there. It's real fun if it does. Um. Okay, so I'm going to roll to arrow. Wait for it. Wait for it. Shoot, wait, hang on. Do I need an action to pull out my bow? Because I don't know that I had my bow in my hands. I think we can say if you saw Hiram drawing his rapier and his sword, that <laughs> you could have drawn your weapon as well. I that, that feels fair. I just don't know how people carry bows. But yeah, no, totes. Oh, that is a dirty 20 to hit the northmost ant. That is successful. Oh, great, okay. So, um, let me roll for that real quick. It's 1d8. That's cocked. Oh, that's another one. Uh, so that's two total points of damage against this, uh, against this ant. But as, um, Tolu is pulling back and releasing this arrow, I'll say, uh, go, I choose you, seagull. And, uh, Sphinx, the large gull, will fly ahead and use their support action to, ahem, dazzle the other creatures. The bird pecks at your foe's eyes when you create an opening until the start of your next turn. Your strikes that damage a creature that your bird threatens also deal 1d4 persistent bleed damage. So that's gonna be... Uh, oh, that's nice. That's three. That's better. So three persistent bleed damage on this top ant. Um, 
and the target is dazzled until it removes the bleed damage. I don't know what... Oh, just kidding. Sorry, that's 2d4 because my bird is nimble. We'll roll that when it's the uh, the ant's turn. Oh, okay. Um, but dazzled in 2e is fantastic. Yeah, I was just going to look that up um, because I do it not before. Unless you happen to have it open right now. Dazzled. Uh, in dazzled, you have to make a DC5 flat check to be able to really do anything. Great. Okay, so that... That top end is like really having a hard time with the bird. I mean, he is just stunned and amazed when you said, Seagull, I choose you. It, you know, it dropped its that. Mountain Dew and was like, what? <laughs> and, um, did you get the yeah. two points of damage from, from my D8? I did. Excellent. Yeah. The, the ant took damage and I'm sure they won't want to retaliate, but... I guess we'll find out now that it's their turn. And in fact, that ant, having been dazzled by a bird, you know, never in its life did he think this day would come. But it is going to slash out. Well, it's going to attempt to slash out with its mandibles. I'm going to roll this flat check for action number one. Uh, Got a nine. He gets to act. Uh, That's good for me. And that is going to be a fantastic roll. Uh, a 27 to hit Sphinx. What's Sphinx's AC? Sphinx has an AC of 23. Oh, 27 will hit. Okay, but not a crit. That's that's good. I'll, I'll take it. I mean, you're, I guess you're, we're all level 5 here, uh, listeners. So at first I was like, oh no. Because at level 1, 2e, 17 a fairly normal <laughs> AC. Uh, but it does hit as going to be a... Uh, six points of damage to Sphinx. And then uh, it is... It gets a grab. <gasps> My bird! Yeah, this ant is going to pull this bird out of the air. Yeah, so grab is an action, and it is going to then try and uh, lash out at Sphinx with its stinger while it holds it. But let's see if I can even do that first. Flat check. Yep, 15 on the flat check. This is its turn, so after he finishes this action, it will take that 2d4 bleed, and it's going to not like it. Oh no! It's a, uh, it's a nat 20 on the stinger. Oh no, my bird! You know, Zach was talking about me and giant ants, and uh, oh, this prophecy is being fulfilled. <laughs> it's true. Are you a birderer right now? It's possible there could be some birder Uh Probably not. Let's just roll that damage. It's less, you know, conceivably less than on the mandibles. Uh, So that is going to be uh, 16 points of damage, and it will need a fortitude save from old Sphinx. Uh, You said fort save. Where's your fort stuff? All right. That is a 31 fort save. Sweet mercy. That is one fortitudinous bird. It's a fortitudinous bird. Uh, Yeah, that's a critical success. Despite taking a, a sting and a chomp and being grabbed, Sphinx is otherwise fine. 
Uh, mm. So I guess we'll take 2d4 bleed now. Yeah, do I have enough d4s for that? When was the last time I used a d4? Alright, we'll roll two of these. Two. Two. That's uh, four. Four bleeds. Okay. It's four bled. But I think it's just that one time, right? Because you're dedazzled now. That's persistent bleed, oh, you persistent. said, right? So, and I did say that, but I just assumed. Yeah, and it's, it's I'm pretty sure, a, a, it's a 15 to stop this bleeding. Well, that's, so, uh, well, continue to bleed uh, then. And yeah, yeah it, 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 it's still bleeding. Uh, now the ant to the west of that ant will seeing as though this champion just skewered it's it's betrothed you didn't know this but the ant you killed had just recently proposed to this ant who is going to skitter on down stand over its deceased would-be bride and lash out with its mandibles at Hiram with a hysterically low roll. Um, a 16 isn't even close. Not close at all, but it is not a critical failure. Ooh. Well, let's see with the map, the multi-attack penalty, uh, if there's even a snowball's chance. Uh, oh, 23. Meets beats, but I intend to raise my shield as part of my reactive shield feat, which allows me to snap my shield into place just as I would take a blow, avoiding the hit at the last second, using my raise a shield action, raising my AC to 25. Beautiful. Yeah, it tries. It's grief stricken. It's a really emotional moment and it just can't, can't connect. Uh, but this remaining ant who has yet to act is face to face with a tiny pseudo dragon. Let's we're gonna play kill the companions apparently, uh, but that's what happens when you send them in to do the dirty work, folks. Worst. Uh, so <laughs> oh, the worst roll uh, of the night for me, a thirteen is not gonna hit that little Sharoshan. Uh, that is almost a fumble. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's pretty bad, folks. Uh, but yeah, AC twenty-two. Then gotcha on the second one with a nineteen off the dice. So not a ton of damage. Eight points of slashing, and then with its remaining action, Shiroshin is grabbed. But. That's it for the ants. Banrum, no longer big baby Banrum, bouncing on the knee of Hiram. <laughs> Banrum, the man, the dabbing, snapping fool, is up. Banrum, the manrum, is going to stride into the room, to the back of the leaf there. So he's got the whole pool between him and the ants. And with a mask over his face, he goes... Come forth, join bravely, let's to it pell-mell. If not to heaven, then hand in hand to hell. 
and that is a one action inspire courage so everyone in the party could say plus one status bonus to attack damage rolls and saves against fear effects oh uh, just for a round and then he's going to aim his gun at the um ant that is currently gripping shiroshin um and he's gonna make like he's gonna fire it and then stop throw it to his other hand make like he's gonna fire it not fire it and uh, roll performance check to do a special action he has called gunpowder gauntlet that is a 29 on his performance check versus the will dc of that ant yeah that is a uh, a a critical success <laughs> on a critical success with gunpowder gauntlet the target takes a minus two status penalty on all attack rolls against creatures other than me until the beginning wow. of my next turn. Then I'm done. You're a real rootin' tootin' hero. I had an hour and a half to <laughs> think about that. So. <laughs> I like it. Well, Hiram, you have before you the, the grieving insectoid. What are you going to do? Make an insect widow take a drink. <laughs> and then hit. That's one action. <laughs> and then, uh, all right, that's a five off the die for a 19 for my first attack. Yep, that will hit. Excellent. And you were saying, so this adds one to, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool to my damage as well. That is 16 points wow. of damage. <laughs> Um, and then if it still lives, an iterative, oh, it lives. an iterative attack this way comes. Um, let's see. So last bad boy was that. So that's a nine. Unfortunately, that is a 10 with a natural one on the die. So that's a critical miss. We don't have any real penalties, but in the, in, in 2e, Getting a natural one would reduce it by a stage, and since you would have already had a regular miss, it's a critical miss. We have critically missed. So? So, that's a bummer. Uh, you still have your third action. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. I was just waiting for Jack to whip out a crit deck. <laughs> I know, I'm just like, I... Alright, um, and then plus four... Uh, final desperate third attack on this grieving ant widow. Unfortunately, an eight off the die for a 12 will not hit either. It will not hit, alas. But you did take quite a savage puncture on this thing. And that was one, two, three. No sympathy for grieving insects. Yeah, oof. Huh. No. You're going to earn a, a title of you know, ant slayer. <laughs> Majuli is up. Majuli, your your bestie is in the loving embrace of a giant ant. Yeah. She looks at this ant and you see her eyes start to like crackle with what looks like almost electricity and she just says, "Let him go." And puts out her hand in front of her and casts searing light at the uh, ant which as a signature spell I can cast it from any spell slot of any level that I have access to so I'm going to cast this at my highest level because she is not thinking straight at the moment 
is going to be a plus 12 under this, Ugh, which I think I need. Uh, 20. That'll hit. Okay. And I'm casting my highest level. That is 5d6 plus 1. <laughs> yeah, it's overkill, but she's angry. This thing's hurting her dragon. That is 18 points of fire damage. Ow. That's uh, that's quite the, quite the sick burn. I regret nothing. And uh, that is two actions. So for her third action, if it's still alive, can she direct the dragon to attempt to break the hold? Yes, it is still alive. And so Shiroshin will need to attempt to escape. Uh, you, which you could do either an athletics or you could attempt an unarmed attack. I think he'll do athletics. No, that's only a seven, so that's probably not going to do it. It will not. All right. And that is my turn then. Okay. Tolo, you also have a, a friendly creature in the arms of an anchel. But we'll have to see if they get pulled from the wreckage of their silent reverie next time. Pot Against the Machine is property of Network Against the Machine, LLC. All rights reserved. Pathfinder, Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And the Sudred Waves One-Shot Adventure are property of Paizo Incorporated and are used under Paizo's community use policy. For more information about Paizo Inc. and Paizo products, visit paizo.com. To the show notes for additional music and licensing information. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to leave us a review. Oh, I see, I see Hiram, or Hiram. Is it Hiram? Hiram! Oh boy, that's his voice now. <laughs> I was trying to figure out when I was going to settle on it. I expected that it would be when I opened this novelty 24-ounce <laughs> beer that I got for my Caden of Kylene thing. Um, oh, I'm also drinking a novelty 24-ounce beer. <laughs> oh, wow. Yours is so much more hideous. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, this is that uh, Mountain Dew beer that I keep buying, even though I think it Brilliant. tastes horrible. God, that sounds truly <laughs> awful. Those are my least favorite words. Don't the do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh my god, I thought you were wearing a t-shirt on for a second, and I was like, good, are you okay? I'm trying to get it to show up, and it's it's got too much green on it. It's not showing up in the camera. Kill a couple, take a drink. Jeez, Louise. I'm like, I got tokens for these things. That's basically prep, right? Oh no, they have abilities? Why didn't anybody tell me that? Poison, poison.